Welcome to another episode of the Be Well Cartel podcast. Join us as we break down the truth behind all things fitness, nutrition, mindset, and more to help you form your own holistic definition of what is truly healthy for your body with a healthy dose of sarcasm, dad jokes, and real life experiences. If you're already a Be Well Cartel fan, don't forget to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and share your favorite episodes with your community. Thanks so much for being here, and we really hope you enjoy our newest episode of the Be Well Cartel. Very exciting, you guys. It's a special Very occasion. If you, Very I don't know special. if you can if you can tell, but Holly and I are recording from the same microphone. Yeah, it's a magical time. It is a magical. <laughs> we don't know if it's going to work. Hopefully it does. Yeah, you may, we may have to do some very drastic editing to this podcast to get like the extra voices out, but we're hoping it will turn out. So here you go. (laughs) It's very, it's very cool. And like I said before, we just press play on record. I just feel like just speaking to you both is just like a totally different energy and it's just awesome. And this must be it. You know, I think that a lot of podcasters talk about how, there is a different vibe when they're like, if they interview many people, if they're doing that in person or if they're doing it like on Zoom and that must be what it's like, you know, like I can just feel that energy from you guys. It's really nice. Well, I guess, I guess we'll find out like as this, (laughs) I mean, I I guess there is something different where it's like, you know, like making eye contact when you're together rather than like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, it, it's, it's pretty cool though. I feel, feel very fortunate. I know. So Olivia texted me like a couple weeks ago, or Olivia, wait, sorry, sorry, Holly. So confused. Holly texted me a couple weeks ago with like a screenshot of like, you know, visitors from Spain no longer have to do like the mandatory quarantine. And I was like, Oh, Oh, Oh. Um, so that like got the ball rolling. And then I just bought tickets probably like I don't know, like a a week and a half. Yeah. Like a week and a half ago. Cause also like last week I was traveling. I actually wanted to tell you guys about this. And I, so I talked to you guys about this a little bit, but I was traveling last week and I went on a little bit of a road trip. Cause there was like a, a local fiesta in my neighborhood, which was like, you don't want to be there. Wait, this is so funny because when you talk about like a local fiesta, you actually mean a local fiesta. Oh yeah. It's like, when I think about that, I think of like, in New Zealand, there's like the school fiesta or oh, no, something no, like no, that. No. And it's just like, no, 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 but you're talking about like a real life no, fiesta. It's so cool. Like, like it, it, so let me describe, let me set the it's scene. It's cool for, for us as tourists. Yeah. And I can imagine yeah. that for Julian, it's like yeah. hell. <laughs> let me, let yeah. me set the scene for you guys. So this is, I live in a neighborhood that used to be like a small, like, I guess like a hamlet of Barcelona that has since been sort of like consumed by the city. So it's like lots of very small streets, very narrow streets, um, lots of houses like fairly close together, which is fantastic. It's very quiet sometimes. But when the fiestas come, and also I live near a plaza, and these fiestas, like, they literally decorate the, like, a lot of the streets, they will decorate it so it looks like you're, like, submerged underwater, or there's, like, these huge paper mache, which is so cool when you visit, but when you live there, it's literally, like, a nightmare. And so I knew that for that week, I could not be at home, because if I was, it was either, like, I was going to go insane. I was literally going to go insane. I can imagine that's what it's like, um, because when I lived in Edinburgh... Uh, it's like for friends yeah Edinburgh Edinburgh Festival is like every August Mm. and when you visit Edinburgh for Edinburgh Festival it's like incredible because there's all this arts and like small performances like every venue has like comedians or like theater going on but then the year like when I was there living there and I worked in a bar over the summer well I worked in a bar the whole time until last year of school my parents were like you should do school and I was like, all right. But anyway, so in the summer, it'd be like, I would get home from work at like 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. or whatever. And we lived on the Royal Mile, which is like the main old street of Edinburgh. And then at 8 a.m., the bagpipes would start outside my window. Um, wow. It's so terrible. Is, but what's funny is that it's like in Spain, it's literally the opposite, where it's like at 4 a.m. you get, and people are still yeah. like on the streets like, ah! and so 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 the the fiesta is that um for like a like a public holiday or is it like what is it actually for 
or is it it like an annual for the neighborhood so each neighborhood in 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 barcelona has its own like his own fiesta and so like it's the fiesta de gracia Gracias, it's like, it's like a mega version of a block party. Yes, it's like a yeah, it's like a neighbor, a whole like an entire like like neighborhood version of a block party. And it, but luckily this year they shut off the like evening festivities at twelve thirty. But like normally the concerts would go on literally till four o'clock in the morning. And so it's like it's in the middle of a neighborhood. And so essentially I was like, I'm going to rent a car and I'm going to take Ona, my dog, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to go. And I was like kind of freaking out. because I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know. Cause like August is also like in Southern Europe where everybody goes on vacation. And so I ended up having this really fun road trip where I like went, uh, I visited a friend and then I visited, um, I visited someone else. Uh, (laughs) and, and it was just, it was great, but I rented an electric car, which is not good for long distance travel. So it took me 14 hours to travel like 400 kilometers. And it was just like, Oh my God. It was like, I would drive for an hour and a half and then I would have to like frantically search for a charger and then like find a charger in a, in a city. And like Spain does not have the infrastructure for this yet. And so it would, it would literally be like drive for two hours and then have to like charge the car for at least two hours. And it was like, it was a big test of my patience. So at one point I realized I was like complaining a lot and I like had to say out loud, like, I cannot control this. This is the situation that I'm in. And so I just need to be here now and enjoy what I can because I literally can't do anything about it. But it was like, when, bah! when you hired the electric car, did you say to the people, I'm going to travel a long way? Like, did they say to you, might not be the best or did they like to warn you about that they so we were talking about it and and when I got there I didn't realize that I had rented that I had reserved an electric car so I was like oh my gosh I got there and I was like and I was like oh my gosh can I switch like do you have a gas do you have a gas car and they were like oh yeah we don't have any more and I'm like okay I kind of feel like you're lying to me but I guess I I was like whatever I'll just do the like I'm usually like I'll do the best I can with whatever I have Mm -hmm. type person and like at first it wasn't a big deal but then when I like started traveling longer distances, like throughout the week, it just took for forever. It just, it, it was like a real test of like, can I maintain my cool under pressure where I'm like, I, yeah. So was it. there, was there like an app because, um, oh, I downloaded I six different apps, Olivia, six, six different oh, apps. Okay. Yeah. Cause <laughs> I, I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking like, like the countryside or something like that, because in Taiwan, there is a, um, a company called Gogoro and the the people that started that are, were um, my clients and it's um, a really big company that do electric scooters mm. and they're very like cool electrics they're really like trendy and nice looking um, but you so they have stations like all over Taiwan where you can go and you know recharge the battery and stuff like that but it's not like they have battery stations as many petrol stations yeah. there are so what I'm thinking is like you, like in the countryside, how did you, I mean, so they must have a lot of like charging stations around. You would if you were able to do so. that. You would think. <laughs> so Sounds like it was more careful planning on Jillian's yeah, part was, of like yeah. being like, I've got half an hour to find yeah. a charging station. I will drive in the direction of a charging station rather than I'll drive and in half an hour I'll be I'll see which charging yeah. stations are around. Well, because and it, what's interesting is that Tesla has the infrastructure where like there are Tesla chargers all over the place. But that's mm. because you like pay a shit ton of money to have a Tesla. But where like for me, I no joke, every major city, like yes, has charging stations, but they're all like different companies. And so literally over the course of a seven or eight day trip, I had to download six different apps to find charging stations. And some of them, like there were certain chargers where like I would charge my car and it would tell me that like it would take nine hours to charge. Other ones would take two hours. And it was just a true gamble. Oh, but man. I got to see lots of beautiful different new places in Spain and hang out at gas stations in the middle of nowhere <laughs> while my car charged for a few hours, which was, you know, and I got to hang out with my dog. Hanging out mission. with my dog is always cool. What a mission. Can I just ask you something just on like life in Spain? I know that la- our last podcast, we talked about like our favorite meals, but if there is like a favorite like Spanish 
meal that you love what would that be like oh. a traditional kind of spanish thing it's a tortilla yeah right? yeah so spanish tor- spanish tortilla oh so so tortilla like in mexican spanish tortilla. is obviously like a thing that you put that you like yeah. put taco stuff in but like tortilla in spain is is essentially like a potato omelet it's one of the it's so simple because genuinely the the traditional ones are either just potato and egg or potato onion and egg and so mm-hmm. literally to make it you need olive oil or whatever oil you're going to cook with, hopefully olive oil, because it tastes way better. Potatoes, uh, onion, if you like, some people don't like onion, uh, salt and eggs. That's like literally all you need. And it is so like, but they're like fat. It's like yeah. a fat omelet that you can cut like a pie. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Like a, like a yeah. potato yeah. kind of. Yeah. So exactly. It looks like a, like a right. quiche essentially, but instead oh, I of love quiche. Instead of baking it, you, you, oh my God, Olivia, you would love it. And, and there is actually, there's a restaurant that one of my ex-boyfriends took me to that makes like, like 80 different kinds of tortilla. And it's just like, it's absolutely, it's so, so good. And so whenever the Spanish breakfasts, like when I'm traveling are usually not that great. It's usually like, here's bread with something on it. And mm. so I usually do my best to like find a bar that has like a homemade tortilla and I will buy like a slice of tortilla and it's, they're always slightly different and they're mm. always just like, oh, so good. Yeah. I, I love quiches. <laughs> like, and quiches oh, from my so childhood good. as well. It was like Nana would always make a quiche, you know, mum would make, we've always got quiches for like Saturday lunch or something. It's just yeah, so easy and so delicious. Yeah. So like a tortilla is like a very magical, like there's like a magical process to it because you like essentially, you essentially like you fry the potato and, and cook the onion together if you do decide to do onion and then you take the potato out and then you like you whisk the eggs and you put the eggs in and then you put the potato and onion mixture on top and then you let the bottom cook but then you have to flip it and so so you have to like slide it onto a plate and then like flip it over no you yeah it's just it's it's like a whole process so thick yeah yeah I've never successfully flipped a tortilla I um so I have (laughs) I have now had a succession of boyfriends that uh have have made me fall in love with them I mean a succession Mm. of like two that have made me fall in love with them by because they know how to make a good tortilla would you hit that heart is a tortilla we already know (laughs) (laughs) and would you hit that with like a relish or something on the side or you just eat it no you usually they eat it with bread because spain okay yeah 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 no i mean i think if you put a relish on it they would be like you're clearly what are you doing yeah (laughs) (laughs) get out of here yeah yeah yeah. they'd be like um if you like if you ask for ketchup they would probably throw you out of the country (laughs) but you can come to the uk and ask for ketchup because we put it on everything (laughs) brown sauce brown sauce it's just like it's hp yeah hp sauce brown sauce is just like hp sauce hp sauce is awesome yeah it's it's really good but it's it's much more vinegar it's much more vinegary than ketchup ketchup has vinegar in it like brown sauce is like almost predominantly vinegar Oh, interesting. Um, it's good with different things. Why is it brown? I guess the vinegar. I guess the vinegar probably changes the like, changes the color. Maybe vinegar's like malt vinegar's brown. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, it is. But I think the the UK is really interesting with food as well. How it's like curry, you know, like curry sauce and like chips. Well, like, and it's it's weird really because I feel like Brits in many senses are like pretty racist, but they are they're like national food is like a curry. curry. But yeah. I think it very with the UK it very much depends where you are because like in London area it, it's so multicultural and has been for so long that I think people don't even think about race and culture in the same way because they're just like so used to interacting with other cultures mm. all the time. But if you get further out into like the sort of more working class cities, I can imagine it being more like that. But yeah, like our national dishes, are, the only British national dishes is like yeah, like fish and chips and other potato related yeah. things, Sunday roast. Yeah. Like, yeah things around sunday rose shepherd's and then things pie. around yes yeah one of my clients today was like what about shepherd's pie and i was like yeah that's true that's true and then yeah. like pasties it's all related to like heavy food that was good for farmers yeah basically yeah. you're gonna go take care it's- of your sheep you need something that sticks to your ribs yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> that, that's the same as in new zealand it's like I think everybody just grew up because it's the same thing like farming and stuff like that. It's like just meat, meat and three veg and potatoes. I swear if my dad still now, he freaks out. If there are no potatoes at dinner, he 
freaks out and does not know what to do. He that has so to have potatoes. You, you know, it's funny. And I know that we should probably transition into our topic for today, but maybe this is a topic for another time. So like, can you imagine like when we're older, we're going to be like sort of that, like stuck in our ways type person. Like what are the ways that we are going to be stuck in? I feel like I'm already stuck in many ways. <laughs> yeah. I, know. So I, like, I can already well. see, like, I can already see I, the ways that I'll, that I'll be stuck. Yeah. In. I don't, it's, it's interesting. Maybe that is a question you listener let's think about this what ways will you be stuck in as an as an elder yeah I feel like even now I'm just like why is there nothing green like there's nothing green yeah this is a disaster like I'm like your dad but with green items yeah, yeah I'm like that with yeah. vegetables yeah like my my breakfast has not had vegetables for two days and I feel very like a bit uncomfortable and like, I almost yeah. bought you a zucchini before you came because I was like maybe we should buy a Jillian a zucchini because I know she'll want to zucchini in her oats in the morning and I was like, oh, maybe she'll be okay. Yeah, but then I, secretly in my heart, I was like, she bought her a zucchini. And now I know it's true. No, I mean, I, I mean, I'm fine. I had uh, the, 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 the P family is so incredibly hospitable. Oh, and, and honestly, like we're going to have to post on the Be Well Cartel pictures of Juno. So Juno, I know I talk about my dog a lot on the podcast and Holly occasionally mentions Juno, which is the family dog. And I am in love, in love. And she oh. fell in love with me really fast, which I'm very. Do you know? Yeah, Juno, Juno gave Jillian a lean, which is her version of a hug, uh, immediately oh, upon meeting, so and my family sweet. were like, "Oh, yeah. oh, look You're at in. Juno giving so her a lean I'm basically, already." I'm like crusading <laughs> for the Priestland family to adopt me, and I yeah. think that, like that was like that was it was it was kind of like, "Oh, well, Juno really likes her. Let's see if she fits in with everyone else." I'm doing my best. <laughs> so, um, should we transition into yes. our topic for today? I think. You guys, this, I, we're just so much fun. I love you guys. Today, we're going to talk about a topic that Olivia brought up that is so incredibly important, like a really pertinent conversation that I think ties really well into everything that we talk about on this podcast, because we talk a lot about body image. We talk a lot about self-acceptance and we talk a lot about coaching. Um, we talk a lot about how we coach, but also I know that as a listener, my voice sounds weird today, doesn't it? But Oh, well, sorry, guys. It's I just because I, I, oh. we awoke Jillian earlier than, yeah. than usual. Anyways, <laughs> um, so we talk a lot about coaching on this podcast. And, and I think that's something that is really important. And Olivia, I, I adore that you brought up this topic is understanding like, what are we actually looking for in a coach? And what do we value in ourselves as coaches? Because I think a lot of the time, there is a lot of like pressure or a lot of value put on things that really, when it comes to what a coach is truly meant to be, which we are going to def define a little bit, like what is coaching? Because I think there's a difference between a coach and a personal trainer. I think there's a difference between like a coach and a teacher and understanding like, what is coaching, honestly? And what are the things that we want to look for? Because I think that there's a lot of things that we overvalue and some things that maybe we want to consider valuing more. And I think that this can also help you with your own personal body image or, or self-worth criteria, potentially. And that's exactly why we wanted to talk about it as, and, and why it came into our minds, having gone through the last few episodes where we did talk a lot about body image and where that comes from for you and food rules and eating habits and how to break out of some habits that aren't serving you. When we were talking about this topic of how to choose a coach and what's important, part of the reason we brought that up was because if the reason you choose a coach is based on their appearance or based on their performance, then you might be feeding into uh, some beliefs that you're trying to break out of. And that might hold you inside those beliefs. And so, yeah, I mean, Olivia, maybe we can start with you giving us a little bit of a definition of what being a coach is to you, because I think that you talk about that really well. Oh, yeah, well, I sort of just on the back of what you were saying is like trying to break out of that narrative. You know, we only know what we know. And so if what we're exposed to is just what we know, we don't know that we need to be more discerning about how we're actually choosing people to guide us, to invest in, in our health and our wellness and our mental well-being and stuff like that. And so I think that for all of us, our hope with this podcast is to allow you the opportunity to be more discerning with this. So essentially you are making more autonomous decisions rather than just basing 
you know, your decision making on or your investments on just what you're seeing at surface level on Instagram or something like that. And I think that that goes for any kind of investment, you know, whether it is coaching or whether it is just buying a program, you know, at like a lower level price range or something like that. So um, just to kind of have questions that you can ask yourself, but coaching is a little bit different to um, maybe like personal training. If you were going to see someone in the gym um, or just like buying a program from someone, I think that coaching is where you're developing a relationship with someone and they are guiding you and, but not giving you answers, but helping you to understand yourself more and learn more about yourself and the things that might, the things that you might be doing that are getting in your way of what you can't see yourself. And so whether that is in fitness or nutrition or, you know, whatever, like business, even what kind of coach you're looking for, that's what I think coaching is, is someone who is guiding you to learn more about yourself asking you the right questions, but also providing a framework that is like a roadmap for where you want to go. A really simple definition of coaching that I, that I absolutely love, which I think is sort of like, like encompasses everything you just said, Olivia, is a coach is someone that brings out the best in you. And yeah, what, whatever, totally. what in whatever environment that is, whether that is someone that is bringing out the best in you in a, you know, and an athletic capability or, or someone that is bringing out the best in you in a business setting. And I think that that is the difference between a coach and a trainer because a trainer can be like, here, do this, but they're not necessarily invested in like, how is this changing you as a person? They're, they're here to achieve a specific uh, goal. And I think that something that's really important when we, when we look at this conversation as a whole is looking at bias, like which, what biases do we have? Where did those biases come from? And I think we're going to talk about some things that are overvalued when it comes to coaches, like looking in a, looking for a coach. But I think that one thing that we want to kind of acknowledge at the beginning is like everybody has an internal bias. And those biases are created from a combination of like your experiences, people you admire, um, things that have, may have gone well or, or badly for you, what you value as a person, what you've been taught to value. And everyone has bias. Bias is not bad. Bias, bias just is. It's something that exists. And if you don't recognize the biases that you have, it is going to be much more difficult to move past them and actually use data or facts to make decisions about things yeah and that you know the last thing I'll touch on for the sort of what is a coach part of it is something that we've mentioned before which is like the google maps analogy right yeah. which is a coach should be more like google maps than something that gives you one direct path and if you if you use google maps it's like you open it you put in the destination you want to go to and google maps will let you will say oh here are three potential paths and then you can say, oh, I want a path that has like the least traffic on it. I don't really like sitting in traffic. And Google Maps will say, okay, cool. This path takes a bit longer, but you'll be in less traffic. Like, how's that for you? And you can be like, okay, cool. Yeah, I'll go with that. Or you can say, just get me there the fastest. I'm cool if I stay in traffic or I want to avoid country lanes or whatever else. And according to the way that you want to get to your destination, Google Maps will give you the, the path that helps you with that. And if along the way you take a wrong turning, Google Maps will readjust until you have to get back to the path that will take you to where you want to go. Or if you get halfway to your journey and you're like, I've changed my mind. Actually, I want to go the fastest way. I I'm okay sitting in traffic now. Um, like I've, my, I've changed my mind. Google Maps will redirect you to that path. And so that's what a coach should be. It shouldn't be telling you, hey, I've got a great way to get from A to B. I'll give everyone the same way to get to A to B. It should be a flexible guide in helping you get to your destination and helping you recenter based on what you uh, what your priorities are. That's so good. And I think that just on that note of, you know, the difference between, say, like a personal trainer and a coach, I have a couple of thoughts with this, you know, as someone and I know, you know, Holly, you were doing personal training for you know, as well. I was a personal trainer, an in-person trainer for many years. And I always felt stuck because of the, the way that the business model for personal training is set up. The business model of personal training is not set up to actually help personal trainers truly help people, I think, like the general kind of model. And so 
for me, there was so much missing in that where I, I just felt like I couldn't help people the way that I wanted to because it was like I was getting paid just for an hour. And so for me, I still did a lot of work outside of that, but that then became resentful because it was like, because people weren't actually paying for that. So then they didn't do the things that we talked about or there just wasn't that kind of like buy-in and I got exhausted from that. And so just as someone who has made that transition and, you know, for the last few years of just being fully online and moving into a space of like truly more coaching, I think that the biggest difference with this is that with coaching, it's truly taking that 360 degree like view of an individual where we're looking at all of the pieces that make up one person rather than like being in a gym and it's just like seeing someone for an hour and not actually having that opportunity to dive deeper um, into what's really going on for them. You know, as we move into things that are overvalued, something that, that we hear a lot now is people are just using the word coach because that is what's trendy right now. Mm -hmm. And so people will be like, oh, I'm an ex, like a blah, blah, blah coach. And it's like, are you that like, I'll use an example. I'm a macros coach. Like, are you a macros coach or are you someone that is simply calculating a a set of macronutrients for someone and giving them that information? Because there is a different, there's a big difference between a transaction of information and someone actually coaching you. And while there are some some coaches that coach on macronutrients that are incredible, there are others that are simply using the terminology because that is what sells right now. You know, in the industry, we see a lot of things that are really overvalued when it comes to people hiring someone. The two big ones that really stick out that I think, and and we want to acknowledge that like hiring a coach is simply just like, you know, a 3% of your life where you're like, I need someone to help me with this thing. The easiest way to find a coach may be for you to simply see how many followers they have, you know, what they look like, and maybe see if they have like a, you know, a before and after photo or something on their Instagram page. And, and we want to let you know that like, while that may be a simple way to find someone that seems credible, that is not, that's something that's highly, highly overvalued. The amount of followers someone's ha- someone has is 0% related to the level of coaching that they can provide you. And I can speak, you know, for none of us have huge followings. I think we're all decent coaches. And I can think right off the bat of some absolutely mind blowing coaches that I've heard speak or I've worked with that you look at their social media, media following, or you look at their Instagram, you're like, this Instagram kind of sucks, but they're incredible coaches. And so I think that that ties into the looks piece where it's like, if I posted pictures of myself in a bikini flexing, I could probably have a lot more, a lot more followers. That doesn't make me a better coach. For sure. And I think, I think it's unfortunate that the word coach has been devalued by that shift in social media and people sort of co-opting the word coach to make themselves sound credible. And then that then feeds into now people don't even want to call themselves a coach because they think it doesn't sound credible. It's, it's, a, a problem of language that we have there but yeah I mean on the back of followers it also goes to you know I just want to say that there are people who have large followings who are still excellent coaches like that is it's possible to have both but it's to make sure that we don't judge someone's coaching prowess based on that number part of the reason that we might bring this up is like are they spending more time on growing their social media and promoting their programs on their social media than they are actually doing the coaching. And this is something that we talked about a lot with Clubhouse, right? Where we were like, so there's some people on Clubhouse who are in four rooms a day. And we were like, how do you have four hours of time a day to spend on Clubhouse talking as though you're an expert coach and coaching people? Like, where does the coaching time come from? So there's, there's that to be said in terms of social media. Some people can balance it very well, have large followings. There's exceptions still to every post, rule. For sure. But it's just something you want to be aware of. If you're basing your judgment of someone's ability as a coach based on how many people follow them, problematic. So we, already, we already know that like half-naked photos sell the best in terms of getting people to follow you. We're doing, post- we're doing terrible on social media, you guys. We need more <laughs> half-naked photos. Um, um, or recipes, yeah. right? Recipes and, and half-naked photos and abs. Um, so if someone's profile is primarily those three things and their following is very large, that says very little about their coaching ability. 
Yeah. And it's really difficult because, you know, we choose this, you know, at all three of us are, you know, digital coaches, we're online coaches and we chose this life. We chose our business to be like this. Um, and we chose to use social media like Instagram as a platform to share content and to create content and, you know, essentially marketing and stuff. It is challenging though. It is challenging that, um, that we, it's brilliant, but also challenging. Like it's brilliant that we are in this space that we can do this and it's no longer handing around pamphlets, <laughs> which is what I did when I was personal training. Um, and like, you know, doing a mailbox drop off and stuff like that. Um, but for some people who are not, who don't enjoy being on social media and maybe don't enjoy creating content, you know, that can be quite challenging for coaches that, you know, are trying to create this business and trying to help people, but that's a piece of their business that does struggle. And again, like we all have choices. We can always, you know, we all decide what this is like for us and in our experience, but it is a challenging thing, you know, and when bigger, you know, people that have got more money and they can invest more into getting help with social media and stuff like that. So there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes of someone who has a fitness business um, online. And I think that for those people who aren't fitness professionals, um, that can sort of be lost a little bit, but there is a lot that goes on. So just to kind of like finish up with the things that are overvalued and kind of move on. Cause I know we wanted to touch on a little bit of our personal experience. Cause this is something that's really, that's like clearly very important to us, but, um, and I, and I think on, on the social media side, it's like, look for value, not like look for quality, not quantity. So if like, you're looking on social media and you really resonate with the quality of the content that that person is putting out, super, super important, but just simply looking at amount of followers or what that person looks like does not signify their coaching ability, but the content of what they're posting may really resonate with you. And that is important, but also kind of three, three things that I think we need to touch on before we, we move on is what they're like, if you're looking for a coach simply based on how much weight they can lift or, you know, what they look like in the gym um, or, you know, oh, they're a really good athlete. Like those things are not necessarily um, correlated with coaching ability. And I think that this is something, you know, got kind of talking a little bit about personal experience. When I got to Spain, what I saw was a lot of the CrossFit coaches were simply chosen based on their ability to be good at CrossFit or based on their athletic ability. And, and I think that we forget that while they may be related it is not like you can be an amazing athlete and have absolutely no idea how to teach another person. On the other side, you may not be not a great athlete. Like personally, I'm not that great of an athlete. I can move decently because I put a lot of freaking work into it in a lot of years, but I was not an athletic kid. I did not grow up athletic. Uh, I don't have a lot of athletic ability. You throw me a ball and chances are I'm going to miss it. But I think that actually contributes to my ability to be a good coach because I've had to go through the steps of learning how to do these things. Whereas like someone that has a lot of natural athletic ability may look fantastic when they're training, but they may not know how to translate that into getting you to do similar movements, which I think is something that, that we forget. And from there, you know, do we want to move a little bit, just touch really quickly on some personal experience? Yeah, just on the the last piece with that, you know, things that are overvalued as well is um, looking at transformations. And we've talked about transformation photos and stuff on here just recently on a podcast, but looking at the kind of transformations that these coaches that you are like looking at are actually um, are actually showing, you know, if it's just like body transformations and stuff like that, like that might be not actually true for what is actually going on behind the scenes. So that's just something to be aware of as well. It's like, what kind of transformation is this coach actually selling, you know, and is that actually what you want? You know, I, we've all had kind of like experience of feeling like we should look the part or perform in a certain way in order to have success in our own business. And this is something that I have really experienced as well. And honestly, this is one of the biggest things that kept me stuck in hypothalamic amenorrhea for so many years. That oh, me my too, for sure. Yeah, my fear of um, my fear of 
working to get my period back, which would mean taking back training, uh, pulling back on training, stopping competing, putting on weight was something that I didn't feel accessible for me because I was seen as the one who competed and, you know, the fit one and comments on my body and, oh man, like I could never work out as hard as you work out. So there was this, these high standards and expectations that I felt that I had to uphold. And I feared that if I did anything differently, then my business would suffer. And this had got, this had a lot to do with how I valued what I did and also my self-worth and seeing, seeing what I did that was completely separate from what I actually looked like. And so that was a whole journey for me to actually understand my place within the fitness industry and with working with people and that nothing that I did had anything to do with my body, but it took a long time to detach from that. But I'm so thankful and appreciative for that journey because now the way that I value myself and what I offer to people and how I help my clients is just so much deeper and also my own experiences um, with that. And that was part of the beauty of moving our coaching online, especially because both you and I were living in Asia at the time and Asia fitness industry, I know the fitness industry as a whole is still very attached to this, but Asia in terms of fitness industry is still so, so invested in like, does your coach have abs? That's how you judge if they're good or not. And it's, and it's very, and bodies are very openly commented on in a socially acceptable way in Asia, even for new coaches coming to the gym where I was working, it would be discussed like, oh, uh, what are you going to do about your nutrition in order to like, look more like a coach? you know? Yeah. But, yeah. but it's not, but it's not even like they were saying it in a malicious way. It's just perceived a different way in Asia. Like it's yeah. that scene as like, yeah, like, why wouldn't we discuss this? Like, that's very normal. Um, and so obviously that fed in a lot also for me in terms of feeling like I had to maintain a certain body type. And I also certainly felt like part of my success as a coach and the amount of respect I was given was based on the fact that I had achieved a certain body type. And the problem was that it was like part of it was, based on that yeah, totally. Um, and being able to move that on online took that away a lot and enabled me to build uh, a coaching practice based on myself and that was very empowering to be like and there was certainly a part of me that thought as I went through that HA recovery process and did gain weight and did lose my abs and didn't work out very much that that would somehow make me a worse coach and yet what I found out by going through that process was I became so much of a better coach going through it part of which was like now all the headspace that I had donated to or saved for worrying about controlling my body shape and looking like a coach and training like a coach I could now put that into learning and applying the stuff I was learning with clients and giving more of that headspace to clients and of course there's a balance there we don't want all of our headspace to be going towards clients but I so much of my headspace had been taken up with that stuff that I had so much extra headspace to give it was, it's been so nice to have that. Uh, just everything that you said, Holly, I'm just like nodding my head and like removing ourselves from that gym environment and where that, and that judgment is true, right? Like what you said, it's like, it's true. Like people were looking at my body. It's not just in my head. Like that is actually what it's like. And so, and that is where looking at your environment is just so crucial for, you know, helping yourself heal from this stuff. So Man, I just, I love what you said. It's awesome. Well, it's interesting too, because I I actually think back to when I first started Olympic weightlifting and I remember being in an Olympic weightlifting class and the guy that would come to teach the class was like very overweight and like very, I, I still to this day have never seen him actually lift any weight. And it was, that was the first, because I had not done sports before, that was kind of my first experience with a coach that didn't look the part because I had always like my experience. I mean, to give you guys some context, I've talked about this before, but I didn't start exercising until I was like 20 years old. You know what I mean? And so like, I didn't have experience like being on sports teams or anything. I did fencing when I was a little kid and my coach was like, kind of, he was like, kind of 
I don't remember what he, I don't remember what he looked like. Actually, I was like seven, but this coach, I remember seeing him and being like, how is he going to be a good coach? And it's like, just, a, you know, to recognize our biases where, yeah, he's not a lifter, but he is an incredible coach because he understands the sport and he understands how to get people to move. And he understands the psychology of like how to motivate someone to become better. And I, and I think that this was, it was a really experience, interesting experience for me because it made me address a lot of my insecurities and biases, even within, you know, in that experience, but also within myself. And as, hearing you guys say that, like moving away from being inside a physical gym setting, I think was definitely transformative for me in my coaching experience as well, because I was a person and, and I've talked about this on, you know, on here before my physical appearance was constantly commented on from the time I was a child up until, up until I sort of like, quote unquote, air quotes, you know, transformed myself into someone that looked quite fit and had never been that before. And so I put a lot of pressure on, I need to look this way so that I can effectively show people that it can be done. But I think that the, the power comes in realizing that we can show people that it can be done simply through the power of understanding what their struggles are and understanding that we've gone through that stuff. But that's really hard to show on the outside. And so this is where our words and our actions need to speak for ourselves. And this is where kind of going back to things that are overvalued is like, yeah, looks and followers are overvalued. But on social media, if you truly resonate with what someone's talking about, that's important because that comes from within them. If you can resonate with their story, awesome. We don't want you to, I mean, ideally you wouldn't be looking at me like, oh, I resonate with the fact that they have abs because that's important to me, but look at like, look a little bit deeper. And so I know, I mean, we're, we've been talking for quite some time, but we want to focus on like, what is truly important when it comes to a coach, when it comes to a coaching experience and also how to find a good coach. So Holly, you want to take it away? Yeah, I'll start with this because as we were talking through some of the things we've already been discussing so far, like that I, I wanted to use as an example of someone who I think is a good coach, someone to whom I send a lot of my clients who are based in Shanghai because, because I know her background and I know where she came from and therefore I trust her to deal with my clients in like a very empathetic way. And I, you, you've met her before oh, as well, Jenny. Jenny. Yeah. Um, I don't know if she listens to the podcast, but um, Jenny, Jenny, if you're listening, <laughs> yeah. hi. And and I want to use her as a as an example of some things that I would look for in a good coach if I was choosing a coach. And the reason I use her as an example is because when I first met Jenny, which was many years ago now, um, I remember I remember dropping in at a class at my friend Murat's gym. She was a member there. She was learning to jump rope. And not like double unders, like she was learning to jump rope, like regular jump rope. And she was really struggling with it, but she was there. She was there and she was trying to do it. And I was like, wow, like I, I love that she just like owns it. She's like, yeah, I find this really hard. I'm going to work on it. And so from, from there anyway, we sort of became friends and I saw her progress over the years to where she is now, where she can do every, like she can do all the movements that you would expect a CrossFit coach to be able to do. But the reason I respect that for her isn't because she can do them. It's because I know how hard she worked to get from where she was to where she is now. And because I know she's been through that process and like stuck with it and embraced the vulnerability of like really struggling with that process as she goes, I feel very comfortable to send clients of mine in Shanghai to her who haven't worked out before, but would like a group environment or would like to try strength training for the first time. But, but want someone that's going to be welcoming. And like, I know that because she's gone through that process, she will be empathetic and she won't push them too hard, which will also help keep them accountable. Uh, and she'll give that like push-pull thing of here's a safe space, but also let's make sure that you push yourself a little bit, like get to the edge of your comfort zone. And I know that she'll be really good at that. And so because of the struggle she had, I trust her as a coach that I would send people to. Whereas like, and part of that comes from my own experience getting started in CrossFit where many of my coaches to begin with were men who had been collegiate athletes. And so they would be coaching me to do movements, but they had no idea what it feels like to be a woman who had never done anything athletic or picked up a barbell before in her life or tried to do a push up. They didn't know how that felt. And so I, I found them very hard to connect with as, as coaches. And I found that the kind of advice they would give just wasn't really applicable. 
part of what I'm saying with this is when we're looking for someone who is a good coach, it's like, what was their journey? And is their journey, does their journey have some echoes to your journey? It doesn't have to mean that there is their body shape the same or is it what, what you want? It's more like, what was their inner journey on the course of getting to where they are now? Does that reflect the kind of struggles that you're going through? Mm, that's so cool. I, Jenny, shout out to Jenny. What a legend. The, the communication skills, I think how coaches communicate is just so important as well. And that comes down to, you know, really asking the right questions. I had a coach for a long time and, you know, just kind of similar to what you said about having men kind of understanding women, I think is a very, is something that I think male coaches really need to work a little bit harder in asking more difficult questions of female clients so that they're truly getting an understanding of what is going on. I had a, um, a coach for many years and he didn't know that I didn't have a period. Um, and I never told him because I was too scared, but that actually took me away from actually what my fundamental goals were. And so I think that the way that um, a coach is communicating, the questions that they're asking, um, even that goes back to like intake forms and really like that initial consultation, you know, are they asking lots of questions and are they digging deeper or are they just talking about, okay, cool, you want to get stronger, but are they actually seeing you and hearing you? I've spent a lot of time thinking about this over the last few months, especially I've been doing some regular clubhouse rooms and gotten the ch- gotten a chance to interact with a lot of really incredible coaches and also some, and also hear from some coaches that call themselves coaches and maybe are not like I'll, yesterday, for example, um, I was on, I was in a clubhouse room and someone hopped in the room. The question was, how do we make working out more enjoyable? And his answer was, you got to control these three hormones. And it was like, I walked oh in afterwards and I, and I said to Holly, I was like, oh my God. And he was like, you got to control these three hormones. And he just like rattled off like insulin, cortisol, and, and melatonin. And you guys, if you can't see Olivia, right? I mean, you can't see Olivia right now. <laughs> she is literally like resting her head on her microphone in distress. And, and he, and this was like, there, there were, you know, I had, the, there's this amazing coach that has, that joins my rooms a lot of the time in clubhouse. And he jumped in immediately. He was like, Hey, you were just speaking science, but we need you to speak client. And so we're going to give you another chance to explain what you're talking about. Can you please break down why those three hormones are important when it comes to enjoying exercise more? And what ended up happening is we, we ended up having to sort of like break down what he was saying and give so much context behind it because what he was saying was actually just rattling off things that were like what people want to hear because they think that what happens is like when you're looking for a good coach they should not be speaking to you in a language that you don't understand yes we want a coach with credentials we want a coach with experience we want a coach that has a certain sense of ego in the sense that like they they do have faith in what they're doing but just having credentials and being able to rattle off like sciencey sounding information does not make someone a good coach because they need to have the connection and the communication skills necessary to translate that sciencey stuff into language that you understand. That's not even a client thing. Like, sorry, no. Holly, that's like a, that's a him thing. That's one oh, yeah. that was yeah, yeah, yeah. ego thing. It's, he's not even listening to what that person was saying. Exactly. It's just like, look at how smart I am. <laughs> exactly. And I think that that can be very confusing sometimes because we have such like, there's this push towards like evidence-based everything. And it's like, yeah, right. we do want science behind what we're doing. But also if that science cannot be translated into your language, whatever language that is, it's not effective science for you. Yeah. And that's why we actually had ego on our list of stuff that we look for in a coach right and what we meant when we wrote ego is like a balance of ego so like it's you do want a coach to have confidence in what they're doing with you for sure um they can't be doubting themselves the whole time but like you should be looking for a coach that sometimes says I don't know let me get back to you on that or I'm not sure let me check on that for you and then I'll circle back like if your coach is constantly giving you like straight answers to everything Unless, unless you just happen to be always asking them questions about which they're an expert. Okay, like maybe. But even if you listen to podcasts where there's long form interviews with experts. So, you know, Tim Ferriss podcast, even some of the Joe Rogan podcasts that we listen to, right? The Huberman podcast. Yeah. Like all the guys that get interviewed on those podcasts who are like 
Nobel Prize candidates some of the time, they're very often saying, we just don't know that yet. Here's what we've found from our study. Here's what we infer, but we're still not 100% sure we're still looking into this. Most studies you read at the end have a whole section that is, here were our limitations. Here's what we think still needs to be done to confirm this. Like even the scientific studies that these people are often using to back themselves up, don't say that they're sure, right? So that ego thing is really important and it has to be that someone can admit when they don't know stuff. And that way you can also trust that when they say they do know something that they are quite confident in that knowledge and they're not just saying it to make themselves feel smarter. And with like talking about cortisol and insulin and, you know, people on social media and stuff like talking about hormones yeah like 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 buzzwords yeah hormones hormones like hormones are the thing that you need to fix it's like and and people want solutions right because people don't want to think that the simplest things are actually the solution to their problem most of the time right and so it's like, oh yeah, my thyroid is messed up. Like that's what's wrong with me. So I'm going to go and do this like thyroid protocol or something like that. When actually it's like, are you sleeping? Like, are you eating enough? Are you exercising? Are you moving? How is your mind, you know? And the big rocks, big lifestyle rocks and exercise are generally the things that can help us. And we only talk about hormones and we only talk about those deeper things once we have these things in place. But too often we're skipping all of that and looking for these like quick solutions, but it's hard. Again, like you don't know what you don't know. And when there are people on social media who are like hormone experts and thyroid experts, it's like, okay, cool. That is my problem. Yeah. And there. You know, we, we did talk about not overvaluing credentials, but you also don't necessarily want to undervalue credentials. So all of us have done courses that gave us coaching credentials and we did them for a reason. And we did them because we wanted the knowledge that those courses would give us. Um, and the same if you're looking at someone with a master's or a PhD or like a level two in whatever kind of coaching they're doing. Great. Like how trustworthy are the sources by which those courses were promoted is is one thing. Um, that might be tricky to know, but that might be something you could like ask us about, for example, where we have where we've all taken a lot of different courses um, and are quite experienced in knowing which sources are good to go to. But it's also then about like how are they applying those credentials? Like, do they have experience actually using the information that they might have gained from? a degree or a course or whatever you know just as an example of this there was a coach that we worked with in Beijing who was hired basically because he was like one of the go-to guys in like strength and conditioning research in uh, Beijing and he was Chinese but his communication skills with clients were awful like so bad he just could not get out of academia mode to actually communicate to clients like why they should do the things that he had you know found out from his research and so no one would do the stuff mm. so it's like that's that combination of like credentials and communication and experience that need to go together so I was just looking back I did a post that was literally the post the title of the post is so you're thinking about hiring a coach here's what to look for and I was just looking back through it and and I love that you just said that Holly because one of the lines that I had written in the post is a coach with a PhD in human nutrition may have the communication skills of a hedgehog Mm. Yeah. And, and like, yeah. that's, that's honestly the case. And so it's like, think it's, it's almost like if you have an encyclopedia, but that encyclopedia is in Russian and you don't speak Russian, all of the information in that encyclopedia is totally useless to you. And so the, the an effective coach is someone that knows how to find that balance between credentials, experience, communication. And also I think something that's really important is flexibility, because I think that when you are working with a coach and they, they're like, this is my method, this is the method that works. And they are not able to tailor that method to your needs. They expect you to tailor yourself to that method. That is going to create problems. There are certain individuals that sure that works for, but when you're, when we're in a coach, when we are looking for a coach or in a coaching situation, we are looking for something that is going to be effective, not just now, but in the long term. And in the long term, if there is no flexibility to tailor to your needs, then 
you are eventually going to go back to whatever baseline you had before that coaching experience happened. And I think that that's something that many coaches don't take into account is their method may work in the short term, but a true, someone that is a true coach is looking for a permanent type of transformation, not a short-term change that simply boomerangs back to its original state. There, it says a lot about coaches when they say no to someone, you know, um, and I think that all of us have done this before. Oh, if we people. don't feel, yeah. Yeah. If we don't feel like someone is a good fit, we're more than happy pass that on to someone who we think probably would be a better fit. Holly said at the beginning, oh no, Jillian, you were saying this at the beginning about biases. And this comes into like that coaching experience as well, because a lot of people turn into coaches because they've had this experience and this transformation, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are qualified to actually coach just because they've had an experience. And I think that often when people have had this experience or this transformation, that is when that bias really can come through because that is all they know. Um, and so that's like something to be very aware of that just kind of like fits into that flexibility thing. From here, you know, where we can kind of go is a little bit of a recap and also helping you sort of nail down simple criteria if you are looking for guidance, whether that is, you know, you want some people that are amazing to follow on social media that can inspire you, or you want to pay for an online program, or you want to delve into working with a coach either on a one-on-one -on -one or group coaching basis. You know, we talked about some things that are overvalued and that are things, that's things like what the coach looks like, how many followers they have, you know, how much weight they can lift or how fast they can run or whatever that is. Essentially their athletic ability is, is not necessarily going to be applicable to how good they are as a coach and what their ego looks like. Like someone that walks around the gym telling you how great of a coach they are may or may not be a great coach, but that, but just simply because they tell you they are does not make them, does not make it true. Um, we talked a little bit about our personal experience, and then we talked a lot about what is actually really important when it comes to a coach. And then some things that you want to look for when, when it comes to finding someone that you can actually trust. And I think that this, you know, now that we have so much access to people all over the world via the internet, you can find a lot of amazing information for free on the internet. The beauty of a coach is is helping you apply that information. We can find all the information in the world, but it's the application, application and the implementation of that information that makes the magic of a coaching experience. You could find the most brilliant coach, an absolute legend that you connect with, that you really resonate with, that you're like, this person is awesome. But you have to remember, no matter what program you do, no matter you know what coach you're working with, whatever, that you're the solution. You are always, always the solution. And it doesn't mean that you don't have to work. Probably, if you've found a good coach, you're going to be working your ass off because that coach is going to be challenging you and really encouraging you to grow and level up and do things you don't want to do and get uncomfortable. So just like remember that, that you may have found a really great program or coach, but that doesn't take away that you have to do the work and it's not the solution, but you're the solution. One that is so beautifully said, Olivia. And did you want to say something really quickly, Holly? No, I was just going to say exactly that, which is like, it's not going to be a smooth process. Like when you found the coach that really works for you, it's still going to be hard. It's just going to be hard in a different way and maybe hard in the most uncomfortable way. If you're going, if you're working with a coach and it's a lot of discomfort going on, but you connect with them very well, you're probably in the right spot. Yeah. I, I wanted to read, I was looking back and we'll link this in the show notes, looking back on this post that I did. And, and I have a, a slide that says like a few last words. And I think that this is really applicable right now is a coach is not a substitute for a therapist or a doctor, but they can work together. And we've talked a lot about that on this podcast, how that can be a really beautiful relationship. It's okay to break up with your coach if it's not working out. And that's something that you should feel comfortable talking to your coach about is if like you don't feel comfortable with them, or if it's not working out, it's not what you expected. Your coach should teach you, not just tell you what to do. And great coaching should make you feel empowered, not ashamed. 
the last thing that I want to, I want to leave off on. Cause you know, this is, this is how we make our living is, is by coaching is quality coaching is an investment and you are definitely worth that investment. I know that for some people that's not accessible right now, but I think that it, it truly is a situation of you get what you pay for. Oh, 100%. It's, that's what I always say to people. Like when we might be having that conversation of if they're going to start or, you know, whatever, they're sort of curious about it. It's like, this is nothing about me. Like this is literally you putting yourself on the hook. Like when you make that investment with someone, you're putting yourself on the hook because you trust yourself enough to do something hard and change whatever is not working for you right now. And I think that that is the most powerful thing that you could do for yourself because that is a really big energy exchange and you're pretty much like backing yourself and giving yourself props. So if you do have a coach, like kudos to you, like that is brave. It's betting on yourself essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Well, with that, you guys, this was, this was great. Next time, I mean, not next time, but at some point in the future, we will have to do this where all three of us are speaking into one microphone and see how that works. Thank you for being you. Uh, Any last words? None. No, I I just really love that you were able to look at Holly then. Like my heart just kind of, (laughs) like, wow, you guys just like looked at each other. It's so nice. And it wasn't through a screen. (laughs) I know. Well, you, um, all, all two of you, all two, all three of us. Um, we will see you again next week for another episode. As always, if you enjoyed this, let us know. Also share it, share these episodes. Um, one of our goals is to speak to many people and and share the beauty and the knowledge and the and the learnings that we can share through this podcast to to as many people as we can, hopefully to empower you or them or whoever it is to make better decisions for for yourself or themselves. So help us do that because that's that means a lot to us. It really, really does. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Be Well Cartel podcast. Make sure to hit follow on the podcast app of your choice, share this episode, and leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. It is a small effort with a big reward and the best way for other like-minded individuals to find the Be Well Cartel. To learn more about the Be Well Cartel community, stay up to date with us on Instagram at Be Well Cartel and see you again next week. We love feedback, so if you have anything to share with us, please reach out via Instagram to let us know what we are doing well, what we can improve on, and how we can support you.